Welcome to On The Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect on various businesses of the COVID pandemic and how companies have managed to survive. Some of them thrive during these difficult times and how they're going to uh, deal with uh, things in the future and how it's going to affect their industries. I am your host, Howard Mark Rubin, and this podcast series came as a result of my realization that as a senior partner of the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, representing businesses and an advisor and corporate attorney for over 30 years, that this pandemic has permanently changed the way business is being done, has put a strain on businesses like none other. It has had such a diverse effect on industries, some actually benefited, some destroyed, and the people who work in those industries, that it was important to address what's the reality, what's the fiction, and what the future holds. Sponsoring this series of podcasts is the Strategic Forum, which was founded in 1999 in New York City and expanded in 2004 to South Florida. It is an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect and trust and continual learning and intellectual enrichment. Each podcast series has one Strategic Forum member and someone who's prominent in the industry that we're addressing. I have some exciting guests today to discuss COVID's effect on the um, casual restaurant industry. Uh, joining us is Dean Cenk Kalowitz, a co-owner of Jack's Wife's Frida's Restaurants in New York, a chain of uh, uh, restaurants that uh, I have frequented uh, numerous times and were fabulous and the lines pre-COVID out the door to get in and getting a reservation, you you were very lucky. Dean is the co-owner of Jack's Wife's Frida Restaurants, uh, which is uh, basically in New York City's uh, Greenwich Village, Chelsea, and Soho neighborhoods with his uh, wife, Maya. And they've drawn from their restaurant backgrounds, uh, she from Israel, he from South Africa. That's why uh, uh, we have uh, totally different accents. I'm uh, from uh, Queens and he's from South Africa. You can tell the difference as to who's talking just from that. And, uh, and their family history, uh, Dean's family history, Maya's family history, brought appealing new flavors to the uh, urban type restaurant. They have two children who live downtown Manhattan. Together they've established and created a hus hospitable hangout for the understated style and savvy all day service infused with the warmth, the welcoming personalities of food that remind them of home. And it, it is really a fabulous restaurant. And if it's, uh, if you have an opportunity to go there, any of their uh, locations, uh, it's something that uh, you will tremendously enjoy. Dean has taken part of the New York service industry for 20 years and loves every moment of feeding their guests and the staff. If you're going to give the cuisine a long and unwieldy name, it might be South African, Israeli, Jewish, grandmother cuisine. All I know, it's delicious. Uh, the other member, uh, who's a member of the Strategic Forum, who's on the phone, is Scott Rudder, who's a uh, prominent uh, CPA and a partner in the accounting firm of Citroen Koopman, one of the 25 largest audit accounting, edit, uh, tax, and business advisory firms in the country. Uh, Citroen Koopman is one of the leading restaurant and hospitality uh, practices in the CPA industry. The firm is also one of the countries, has one of the country's leading practices in the franchise industry, representing major franchisors and major franchisee groups. 
Scott's a senior partner in the hospitality group and co-chair of the real estate hospitality group in Citroen Cooperman and has for over 35 years, he doesn't look that old, experience in the industry. Scott is a hands-on trusted advisor for many hospitality clients and the dean is, uh, and the Jack Weiss Frieder is a client of his as well as a client of mine. From single restaurants to large restaurants groups, available 24-7 to help in all aspects of their business, including tax planning, structuring, compliance, auditing, accounting, and business advice in all aspects of their business. Scott and his firm has helped their loyal clientele, including some of the most popular and highly rated restaurants and celebrity chefs in New York, raising their financial efficiencies, reducing costs, and realizing greater profitability by working with them to save on their taxes. Scott and Citroen have also worked closely with the hospitality clients during these difficult times, assisting them with COVID-19 relief, advisory, and PP loans, PPP loans and forgiveness. So now that we know who's on the line and what we're doing, let's, let's get into it. Uh, Dean, I know of no other industry that has been as severely impacted by this pandemic than the restaurant industry in New York. Uh, the restaurant industry nationwide the, the number that I've uh, read has uh, 11 million employees, and that doesn't include the people that supply the restaurant industry um, and a half a million restaurants. And they've been devastated, particularly in, in New York. Uh, how have you adapted generally with Jack's wife's Frieda to this, uh, this catastrophe? Great. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Howard. Hey, everybody. Um, Adapted, you know, restaurants have always been versatile and able to adapt. This new reality with COVID has been a, a, a big learning curve in all respects over there. What I feel moving, you know, from the shutdown on March 15th until we could start out for takeout and delivery, where we started mid-May at one location, it was a constant uh, game of adapting. We had to minimize our hours, we had to uh, sweep out the menu and put, you know, the best sellers on the menu. And... Uh, shorten up the menu, tighten up the staff and tighten up the schedule. As we moved through the summer when outdoor dining became available, it became like building three new restaurants. Uh, we had to put in barriers, get tables and chairs, build outside structures. And as that developed, we kept on moving into the next season coming fall where we had to put heaters, go by city guidance and keep adapting to what the environment entails. The hours of operation being the most detrimental to adapting that we shrunk from being open from eight o'clock in the morning until midnight. Our current hours are 11 a.m. until 9 p.m. I feel like the breakfast tray, certainly downtown Manhattan, has completely vanished and there's nothing on the streets until 11 noon. So that took a big hit. Um, been a big burden financially on the business and the strain. The other side on adapting is staff. We don't have the opportunity to have uh, a uh, uh, full team of staff around us. So we had to cut back on staff and uh, we have a fewer people doing so many more things. We're trying to figure out, you know, scheduling, overtime, all those kind of issues and ensure that we have a safe environment at the same time. So that adapting moves into, as we get in the health checks and all those P and all the PPP, PPE equipment, checking in with our staff, making sure that everybody's healthy all the time, having service people come in every morning and scrub all the counters, the floors, the dining room, etc. So as an operation, it just kept on growing into how do we adapt to maintain that we stay open, which became critical during the 
protests during the Black Lives Matter weekends. We had to put up a boarding to secure the stores because our windows were broken out in our Soho store. So that adapting is that everyday reality in a restaurant on how we're going to get through this. We very tough people in restaurants. We, we, we've been through, whether it's a health inspection prior or issue on premises, we've been through this. But with COVID, it took all those lessons learned and really threw it on top of us all at the same moment. You're negotiating with vendors. You're reaching out to your landlord constantly. You're watching where your taxes are at. So they're adapting. It's a constant game of adapting on how you're going to keep yourself moving forward one day at a time. The outlook isn't as easy as forecast in the next couple of months, but it's daily on the ground how we get through the day. And and Scott, could you give us an idea of, of uh, the government legislation that has been in place to help restaurants and, and how clients in the restaurant business uh, can get the maximum benefits out of those things and maybe touch on the Restaurant Act and how that might help um, uh, restaurants if that's enacted? Sure. First, let me cover, Howard, thanks for inviting me today. You know, the, the key thing here is that what's happened with um, the, the initial legislation during the first part of the year, where some significant things were changed in, you know, with the uh, CARES Act and so forth, you know, in the first legislation. And that changed a couple of things. First, it enabled um, owners of restaurants that are in pass-through entities like partnerships and S-Corps. If they had losses in, 18, in 19 and in 20, they'll be able to carry do a carryback claim to re- recover taxes paid up to five years back, which was not before that was, you could only go forward. So what they've created is a, a vehicle for a lot of restaurant owners who suffered losses in 19 or 20 to be able to go back five years, which will recover a lot of money for a lot of owners. That's number one. Number two is they changed the definition of tangible personal property, which is a, which was a, a, a for tax professionals and owners was a real concern because leasehold improvements were not allowed or were not includable in the bonus calculation for being able to expense additions. So now with that adjustment, um, people going back into um, 18 and 19, where the law came into being, and now claiming those as expense items and amending returns. So those are two uh, two potential significant uh, changes that came through in the initial legislation in the first part of the year, which are helping owners. Um, now, moving forward, obviously, which, which is great, you know, finally, the House, the Senate, and our president signed into law this brand new, new round of PPP. Obviously, the first round of PPP, a lot of people benefited and there were some limitations, but the biggest things that came through in this new legislation are first, the IRS for up until this new legislation had said that the items that you were being able to deduct with PPP funds were not deductible or were offset against income for the forgiveness. Now they've made the PPP money that you received in the first part of the year, almost like a grant and they're allowing you to use the funds and claimed as deductions, all the payroll and all the items that you included in forgiveness as deductions. So it's giving you the benefit of using government money and claiming the deductions for it, which is you know, a home run for a lot of people. Now, 
The new legislation, which includes PPP, has done the same thing. And up front, they are saying that PPPQ will be able to be deducted. Um, uh, the, the expenses will be able to be deducted. And they're including additional expenses forgiveness, which I'll go into in a minute. But the key thing here is for restaurants, they've increased from two and a half times to three and a half times average payroll, average monthly payroll, which is going to increase the amount that restaurants are, and the hospitality industry are going to be able to get um, from the SBA and the Treasury for these loans, um, you know, with their individual providers that they got the first round with if they got one if they didn't they can get some assistance we have some people that we can put them in touch with to potentially get ppp money with some advisors and so forth but what the or they can go back to their original ppp lenders and i would suggest that anyway um, once they open up and get this going but it's going to be a boon for a lot of um, restaurateurs it'll help them get through this crisis and um, it will really be, um, you know, it's three and a half months of payroll. So it'll take you almost into April, uh, early May, you know, probably April, you know. Um, so after hopefully a lot of the country has been inoculated with the uh, vaccine. So that's one thing. But also that it did some other things. It'll, it opened up a, an EIDL loan with the SBA for $10,000 that you can apply for. And they also said that the EIDL was not, will not reduce forgiveness, will not reduce the, um, the PPP loan. So you'll be able to get the EIDL and the uh, PP, full PPP without it being reduced by the 10,000, which they did under the first law. And in addition, there was a, an employee retention credit, which was not allowed to be used if you got PPP. However, they adjusted that, the language to now say that you can use the employee retention credits if you did not use PPP money for paying those employees. A lot of these laws, obviously, uh, and a lot of the regulations are brand new. Um, the regulations are due from the SBA within the, within the next week or two, maybe. Um, and once we get them, they'll clarify some of these issues. But it's a tremendous benefit to the restaurateurs themselves. And obviously, the new stimulus checks that will be available, the extended unemployment for some of the employees are also benefits that will help, you know, uh, a lot of the employees in the industry uh, that are employees of the restaurants. Um, mass confusion. I feel the government, the government is not in tune with anything that's actually physically going on the street. You give us guidelines that you can't fulfill. You should have inspectors from various uh, departments showing up at your doorstep, not sure what they actually inspecting, but being given some sort of a guideline of what they should be looking for. We've had multiple fines and violations for no apparent reason. 
I had a, just for last week, I had a DOB agent show up to look at our, our wellness, our health check paperwork. He wasn't quite sure what he was looking for. It was just before the snowstorm with indoor dining shut down, snow falling. It just seems completely debilitating. The guidelines we get, you know, cutting down the indoor dining as minor as it was 25% with the weather change, it was vital. Even if you have, you know, three or four parties in a empty room, it was vital. We're doing all the health checks. We didn't run into any problems. Taking that away from us when you can go into a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or get on a plane with maximized amount of people when we take all their care into putting to creating a safe environment was very shocking. Looking forward, the government on a local level has given no indication of what to expect. The rumors run from we could be shut down after the new year entirely to they can open up 25%. It's uh, scheduling becomes terribly difficult, engaging with your staff so they can understand the situation. You acting as the government around them to give them a space to understand what's happening around us. Um, so lo the local team, I mean, uh, the mayor in New York City is an absolute uh, joke when spoken about because we don't know where he's putting his next foot, but it's usually going backwards. Well, how do you, what would you like to see be done? What could the city or the state or the federal government do? Scott explained a lot of the uh, legislation that's out there and and monies and deductibility and, and things that were done, but obviously this isn't uh, making up for the losses that you have. What would you like to see being done? Uh, I would like to see a team of people on the ground that understands the dynamics of a restaurant and what happens in a restaurant and how we're enabling people and actually setting a roadmap up of where we had at 25%, how we can get to 50%, what's the guidelines for outdoor dining, the heaters, the enclosures, and how we're supposed to survive the next two, three months. The PPP and the, and the federal assistance amazing to survive those months, but by no means as put you in a better place come, you know, April, May, June, July, but we don't have anybody giving us some kind of guidance of what we can expect. There's no expectation leveled on us as a restaurant of what the future holds. It's as unpredictable today as it was on March 15th. We have no guidelines on where to go to. And Scott, I, I know that there was a, uh, it used to be that business meals were totally tax deductible and then they put limitations on that. And now they're, they're uh, talking about um, expanding the deductibility of business meals, which I think would be a tremendous help to restaurants. Can you explain to us uh, how that works, the deductibility of uh, meals at restaurants and, and what changes could be made and how that could help the uh, restaurant industry? Yeah, you know, I, I think that would be really helpful. First of all, if any business meals were made to be 100% deductible during this difficulty, if that was put, in, put through in the legislation, that would be very helpful. Um, right now, you have to be out with a business associate or some sort of uh, new business candidate or for business development to be able to claim it. Um, and um, they've also taken away, um, you know, tickets for concerts and games and concerts. And I think that will help if they were to put that back in, because a lot of these venues, like the shows, like the sports teams, like some of these um, venues are going to need a lot of help themselves and, and the hospitality industry in general, um, and including the hotels that have um, restaurant venues as well. I think it's going to be very important 
because it's going to take a long time for people to come back to restaurants and really um, get acclimated. And if they could do it 100% of these different types of expenses, that would be very, very helpful. One thing I didn't, I forgot to mention is that there was a small nuance that New York State actually did that some people will qualify for, but I hesitate to do it because sometimes people use these funds for, use sales tax funds for, for operations. Um, but what they are doing is allowing sales tax to um, be paid, you know, for this quarter and, you know, through, you know, as a, through to March 22nd without any interest or penalties. But that's something small that the state has done um, and you have to qualify for it. But, Howard, that's that's what I think. I think the government has to create some incentives for the hospitality industry and be able to give um, businesses deductions. 100% deductions for a lot of these items, you know, through the crisis and maybe through 21, maybe even through 22 to help the industries recover and, and in maybe even bump up the amount of that they'll allow for uh, per diems for hotels and such as well. And, and Dean, what do you see as the, the long lasting effects on the restaurant industry? In other words, one day we're going to have the vaccine, everyone will be inoculated and Will things just be back to normal or are the ways you're doing business have to change in terms of making sure that you're uh, uh, more uh, less susceptible to pandemic type of viruses? People may care about that more. Uh, occupancy in restaurants, which I know in your restaurant, it's a great restaurant. You'd wait outside, you'd wait outside to get in. But when you got inside, you had a lot of tables. A lot of t- people were packed in there and that was great. It was a great atmosphere. But I don't know, will you be able to do that? Do you think you're going to be able to do that when uh, when this is all over, have the same kind of occupancy? And I, I, I don't know, Howard. I, I mean, when this is all over, <laughs> when will this ever really all be over? I, I couldn't really get a sense on that. You know, it's uh, short term. It's, uh, it's surviving, getting through the other side of this uh, pandemic. Will occupancy be cut down? I'm sure... You, for the immediate year, absolutely, it will be 25, 50, maybe 75%. I don't know what kind of, again, what kind of guidelines or regulations we can enforce to make sure the occupancy stays there. But we've got to get to the other side where we can have that kind of occupancy growth. You know, uh, sitting here today and, and watching the next few months unfold, I don't know where the next trigger point is going to be where we can see that kind of sustained growth. So I think we're going to unfortunately see a lot more places close down I think uh, places are going to be, you know, not as elaborate to begin post-pandemic. People are going to build out, uh, not such big build out with such big expense and really narrowing on the market, whether it's takeout and delivery with the storefront with a few tables or outdoor seating. But I, I, I can't forecast at all what, what, what's to come. Mm. It's been such a shove out of uh, center line that I'm not sure where the center is going to be again. I just imagine for myself and the community of restaurateurs that I know around me, we will will persevere and we'll, 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 whatever it is, we'll try to find a solution. Because what we want to offer ideally is a customer to come into your restaurant and have a pleasant experience and bring that hospitality and that warmth back to the city. And that's what we do. So hopefully people have that short-term memory eventually in a year or 18 months time and we're back to a normal running situation but I don't have any <laughs> correct manner to approach it except daily. And Scott, could you, I don't think you, you got to this before. Could you explain 
a little bit the Restaurant Act and how that may help uh, these uh, restaurants who are struggling so much and why that's such an important act? Well, the Restaurant Act, are you talking about the, um, the, the, regu the regulations that were passed with um, this new regulation and, and, and basically what's happened with the, with the federal government is I went into in depth. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, it's, it's the PPP money and, and the money that's being really used by the um, SBA for the idle loans and, and so forth. And, and, you know, the casual restaurants, you know, some of the restaurant acts, you know, with the payroll tax deferrals um, and some of the other provisions that were put in by executive order have been put in, you know, for um, the idle loans and, and the employee retention loans. Um, they're all out there. Um, but um, the biggest thing that I find that's going to happen with the struggling restaurants is being able to pivot and get through the next couple of months, because especially the white cloth restaurants that were, you know, high-end restaurants that are, you know, having real difficulty, had a lot of um, high-cost labor and, and some executive servers, and, and, and also being able to reopen and, and also being able to pivot, you know, and still maintain an operation. Um, you know, in fast service, you're always able to do, you know, certain things, but in, in the high-end restaurants, they are having a harder time pivoting and doing recipes and, and webinars for cooking and, and with some of the celebrity chefs and things like that, um, and having uh, certain, pick, you know, pre-cooked uh, pickups and so forth and packages. But I, I think it's going to be a real struggle for a lot of the uh, a lot of the restaurants and they really have to manage their labor, go back and manage um, some of their um, uh, leases and see if they can get further deferrals from the landlords until the, the, vi you know, the virus is reached. Uh, everybody's gotten inoculated in the spring. So um, I think we covered a lot of the restaurant act already, but um, if there's anything specific mm -hmm. that you're thinking of Howard, um, we can cover. Well, what I, what I, what I um, think is important in that, you know, it, it covers the old, the PPP originally covered industries or companies that were very large. Anyone could apply. And um, the family restaurants and the casual restaurants were being treated the same as the Ruth Chris's of the world. And under the Restaurant Act, there was an exclusion for those larger restaurants because, you know, where they may have the capitalization, these smaller casual restaurants and these smaller chains they don't, and they, they're the ones who I think need more help. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes, and that's why they set the, the, this, this at really 300 employees and lower, um, you know, for the restaurants in this new, this new act, and also allowed for the employee retention credits to be allowed if PPP money wasn't used, so they can get, the P, they can get employee retention credits potentially as well as um, PPP money. So I think it's going to be... Mm. There's going to be a lot of money, much more money available. We just have to look at the uh, the way the regulations are written. Right. And, Dean, I, I wanted to, to ask you about these uh, delivery services, such as the DoorDash, the Uber Eats. Uh, you know, it's a two-edged sword. I know that they charge up to 30% uh, fees to, uh, to these restaurants they service, but they also provide... Uh, maybe they claim to provide new uh, customers, new business that uh, the restaurants wouldn't have. Do you see those delivery services as something that helps your business or is something that uh, hurts your business? How yeah, do you view them? Yeah, thoughts. I, I do view them favorably, though, because uh, the delivery guys, the apps they have 
been a tremendous help getting us through the pandemic. But it has its challenges too. You know, you 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 package a good, you represent in your product and who you are, uh, who you are in a restaurant. Once it gets packaged, taken out and delivered, you don't know how the food's going to turn up. It's going to get shaken around. Are people going to be upset because it took too long? So you give up a, a certain level of control to the delivery apps or the third-party delivery people. There's a rainstorm. Their their guys kind of vanish. We throwing away food. So there's a net-net, it's a positive because we're able to, for people to experience Jack's Wife free day in their home. But the difficulty is you're dealing with another business who deals with things in a different way than you do in a hospitality business. They're still working with data, and that's where they, their business is driven by. Our, driven, our business is driven by human interaction. <laughs> and, and Scott, is there anything, we're, we're coming to uh, the end of uh, the podcast, but is there anything that you'd want to uh, tell our listeners something maybe uh, positive that uh, that they that the industry has to feel that there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel and uh, we're going to get through this and restaurants which is a tough business uh, are going to survive and thrive in this post pandemic world. Well, one thing I could I could definitely say is is the government outside of the state outside of the city government um, has really realize that the industry is dramatically, especially the smaller restaurant groups are, have been dramatically impacted. And you can see in the way this new legislation was formulated with the under 300 employees and, and really allowing, you know, a, the, I, the um, employee retention credit to be used as well as PPP and upfront saying that it's going to be forgiven. They're creating a lot of incentives. So one positive note in general is that I think the, the government realizes how just dire this industry is and and the suffering that these owners and, and small owners have that put their life into these smaller restaurants and he, and the successful operators like Dean and so forth have been able to figure out and pivot partially to survive you know initially the onslaught of covid and to get through but one thing that's really positive i think is that the government is finally responding to the desperation of the industry and and some of the needs that it has by increasing for example the extra one times you know making it three and a half times not two and a half times freeing up the employee retention credit so i think they're starting to see the the dire need and also looking at the potentially changing the deductibility of employee meals and and um and business meals because i think those are things that um, need to be changed, and I think they're going to be looking at them very carefully. Well, I, I want to thank both of you. Uh, we're at the end of the podcast now, and uh, I think uh, it's been very informative. And uh, and if you ever have a chance to go to Jack's Wife's Reader in any of its locations, uh, please do so. Uh, it's a fabulous restaurant, and that's that's my little. Um, uh, advertisement you. for the restaurant, but it is it is one Thank of my you. favorites in in New York, and uh, uh, and Dean and, and Maya put so much into it, and uh, I know that they're going to uh, survive this, and uh, the restaurants are going to come back uh, better than ever. But I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I, I hope uh, you found it informative. Uh, if you wish any further information, please contact Tony Ann T O N I A N N E at 
thestrategicforum.com or myself at Getz Fitzpatrick, 212-695-8100, extension 334. If you want to speak to any of the guests today, I can put you in contact with them or Tony Ann can do that. And uh, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye.